Welcome to the Agile Career Podcast, where we will take you on the journey from employed for life to employable for life. We'll give you the tips, insights, and strategies to help you build the transferable skills that you'll need. So let's get started. Please welcome your host, Gunter Richter. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the next episode of the Agile Career Podcast. So today, it'll be no surprise that I want to talk about career transitions again. Uh, and also transferable skills, building transferable skills and recognizing transferable skills. So today's guest is someone who has had a very stable career, but at the same time has made some very big changes in that career, uh, which is often different from people going through many changes in their career, which are incremental rather than big. So to share a story with us, I'd like to welcome Anita Toth to the show, who joins us from Canada today. So welcome to the show, Anita. Thank you so much, Gunta. I'm happy to be here. And uh, specifically, since Canada is such a big country, one of the first questions I get asked is where in Canada. So I'm just outside Toronto. Brilliant. My son will love that. He's a huge Maple Leafs fan. So um, (laughs) perhaps I'll get him to listen to this episode. So uh, (laughs) that that might be the draw card. All right, brilliant. Well, as I said, welcome to the show. Um, Before we get into some of the nitty gritty, do you want to take a few minutes and uh, talk a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself and tell the audience, you know, what it is you currently do? Yeah, absolutely. So what I currently do, I call myself a chief churn crusher. I believe I'm the only one in the world by such title. And I help uh, B2B or business-to-business SaaS companies. So SaaS is software as a service. So Netflix uh, is a great example of a uh, SaaS company, something that you pay a monthly subscription for, uh, that particular piece of software. And I help them retain their customers longer. So that's specifically what I do. Uh, And uh, that's quite interesting because one of the themes that emerges through the number of interviews I do in this podcast, and especially talking to people that do work in higher education, is often a statement that when you are at university or college or, you know, whatever it is you're studying, often you're studying for a job that doesn't exist. And going back, I guess, to university, you you know, and and we'll get into that a little bit, um, certainly the job you described or the role you described you know, SaaS companies didn't even exist, you know. Um, so I think that's, that's really interesting. And um, it's, it's something that is, um, is, is fairly new, I guess, and, uh, and wasn't even thought of then. So I guess going back to the start then and thinking about the end of school and making your way into post-school or your sort of undergraduate, what was your view then on a career? What were your thoughts? So actually, my thoughts were to stay in academia and go through. I got my um, honors bachelor degree in geography, which is, you know, one of those disciplines that people are like, what? I took that in grade school. They teach that in university. Yes, folks, they do. (laughs) And um, I got into something that really fascinated me, and it was around um, how built environments affect human health. So we called it medical geography. We also looked at, you know, not just the diseases themselves, but, but why is it that people weren't compliant and how social, um, social and cultural influences affected the spread of diseases. And I just thought, I thought this was amazing. So I wanted to take it at a graduate level. I did. I got my master's degree in this. 
And then I started a PhD and realized like, oh, I, I, no, I don't want to do five years of my life dedicated to this. At that point, I had already done seven years of advanced study. And so um, I landed a job like the very next day after I graduated as a research assistant in a research institute at the university. And so I just sort of fell into it. Uh, it wasn't planned. And that's kind of how this whole, that's been, now looking back, we're having this conversation. That's how a lot of my jobs or interests happened is I would just be kind of toddling along and then poof, I fall into something. I'd be like, oh, this is really cool. Let's see what I can do here. It happens so often, you know, especially if you're studying and you're doing a part-time job, often that morphs into a full-time job. Uh, you know, it's, it's, we talk often about the power of networking, uh, you know, this is how these opportunities come up and, you know, being able to spot these opportunities. But I guess, uh, you know, up front it was quite a big commitment saying you were going to do your undergrad uh, time at university, uh, then specialize a little more and do your postgrad. Um, you know, that was quite a big commitment. And I guess uh, it was quite a niche area of study. Uh, we talked a bit about it before we, we started the, the interview, but, um, you know, what, what did you see then as being your job opportunities before realizing there was an opportunity at the university as the research coordinator? I thought professor was it. <laughs> I really did. I thought that that would be the pinnacle. Um, I was very much driven. So right from my early, early days in undergrad, those, you know, that first year, whatever, the dream was always higher, higher education. I wanted an advanced degree. So, um, and once you get in, it's interesting because once you get in the system, if they recognize that, you know, you might be good material, shall we say, uh, to stay at the university, they really put a lot of effort in getting you to stay. So it became, that's, that's all I could see. I, I wasn't sure what I could do outside of it. Um, although some of the um, postdoctoral, uh, postdoctoral fellows, they went on. So these are people who have their PhDs and then they do schooling after that. Um, started working for, for like Health Canada and public health agencies. And yeah, I thought that was interesting for a while, but um, really didn't appeal. So I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then I got this job. Um, as a research assistant, which ironically put me in the health department. That's where I worked. We did all sorts of really cool studies and I, I really enjoyed what I was doing. So it, it kind of like ended up that I was still in the world in, or sorry, a foot in academia, but also out in the working world as well. And it was an amazing experience for many years. I suppose it's it's perhaps less of a shocking transition than you know uh, compared to people who you know leave university and into the working world in a corporate environment you know perhaps working for one of the big consultancies, but what was right. that transition like? Uh, you, you know, it obviously wasn't just like taking another degree. It was uh, there were some challenges, I'm sure. It was really hard because. Um, I was placed in a very established department. So it's public health. And I specifically worked with the public health inspectors. So public health inspection has been a hundred some odd years. It's been around. And so I needed to learn their culture. I needed, the other thing was I was just a transplant. So I was working for the university, but my actual physical location four days a week was in public health. So I had this little desk and trying to understand how I could serve these people when I wasn't trained to be a public health inspector. 
half of the time they'd be talking about stuff I had no idea about. It was really overwhelming and especially the cultural shift. I really needed to understand how differently a government organization like that worked versus an academic one that I was so used to. You know, what are the politics and the confines of that? So it was, it was weird. So I wore two hats. I'd work, you know, one or two days a week at the university and in an office there. And then the other days I'd be right with the public health inspectors listening to, you know, the blood guts and gore of whatever they came across <laughs> that day and, and policy changes and how it affected them. And, and thinking when you were into that environment where you said there was a bit of a culture change or a big culture change, you know, how did you highlight the sort of gaps, you know, whether it was the terminology that was used, the working environment, you know, how did you highlight and, and sort of close those gaps in your skills? I found somebody who was willing essentially to take me under their wing and mentor me. And that was, that was the difference. Um, she had been a public health inspector by that point, nearly 30 years. And she realized how lost I was versus the other ones were so busy in what they're doing. They, they just thought I was a public health inspector too. But she realized how much I was struggling. She took me under her wing, and that was extremely helpful. In fact, um, it has now been 20-plus years, and her and I are still in touch. We get together about once a year, twice a year, and we go for lunch, and we catch up. Like That's, that's how much she impacted my life. Well, that's an awesome story, and I think uh, there's so many examples of people that have grown and really benefited from having a relationship with a strong mentor, and um, I think often people are perhaps a little bit um, reticent to ask people for help, other people for help, and not actually realizing that so many times, you know, people would be mentors often say yes. Right. Um, and um, I guess, as you say, you know, it was very generous of her to offer up her time and take you under a wing. Uh, so it's she great, great did. piece of advice. And I was going to say, you know, now that you're taking me back to those times, like she, she invited me to go for coffee with them when they'd all go on break. Like they all had to come into the office in the morning. They would have their meetings. Then they'd all have a break together and then they go out into the field and do their work, right? Because um, they all had their different districts that they worked in. And she was the one who invited me because otherwise I would have just sat by myself because everybody had their groups. They'd worked together for years. And so she realized that I would have just been sitting by myself alone in the office. And that's how the mentorship started. It was nothing formal. She didn't say like, hey, kid, by the way, I'm going to take you under my wing and this is what we're going to do. But she kind of did. <laughs> hey, why don't you come with us? And she started inviting me out more and more often. And then through those discussions at coffee, I could ask those questions that then put the pieces together for me because I was overwhelmed. I was way in over my head. I had no idea what was going on. And there was no training. It was a brand new position. You know, it was the first time the university and public health were created this position to kind of embed somebody within um, the public health department. So like, yeah, I was, I was lost. I was really lost. It's a really good observation. You know, often when we're sitting in class and, you know, and also costing my mind back, it's, it's a while ago now, but you know, you'll learn things and you think, what is the relevance of this? When will I ever need the skill or this knowledge? And, you know, then you flip it on its head and you're in the, you know, you're in the working environment and you think, oh, I, I don't know this stuff. How am I going to get right. this stuff done? How am I going to get through? And, uh, you know, it's so interesting as you describe it, trying to reconcile those pieces and then understanding how they all fit together. So I think, yeah, 
taking on, um, well, not taking on, but having a mentor take you on is a great piece of advice. And uh, oh, the fact so that you're still in touch today is, is super. Yep. Yeah, so grateful for it. I don't think I would have, um, I don't know what would have happened, but I'll tell you one thing. My second day on the job there was September 11th, 2001. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was my second day on the job. So I came into work and it was this crazy flurry of activity. I didn't understand what was going on. And um, the city I live in, was because the U.S. closed all flights, so planes had to be diverted to Canada. And some of the planes were being diverted to the city I was living in, so public health had to be involved very quickly and look for hotels and make sure that they, they had all the standards that they needed to accommodate. I think we took something like 800 people uh, into the city that, you know, very quickly. It was nuts. So that was, yeah, that was my second day on the job. <laughs> yeah, it's, it really is a, a sort of trial by fire kind of thing. Or oh, be thrown, it's crazy. Be, be throw, thrown into the deep end. But yeah. obviously it worked for you. It was enjoyable. You stayed in that role yeah, or did. at the university for a number of years. I think it was around 15 years or so. Um, it was actually, yes, yeah, 16 years with two maternity leaves, which are a year long. So it actually working time was 14, but I did change. You talked about incremental change. So within that institute, I went from a research assistant to a project manager to a research coordinator. So the change wasn't much. It was really just my tasks um, were the really what changed um, during that period. But over that you know, over those 14 years, um, I did change jobs three times within the same institute. And, and thinking about that progression, the progression or that transition through those jobs, you know, and I guess looking back now and perhaps being more conscious about it, what were the sorts of skills that you took with you through those roles um, at the university? Oh, that's a really good question. I think one of the biggest always is around communication. And because I could communicate both in written and verbal form, it, it seemed to do uh, very well for me. The other was project management. And I had to learn this. I didn't know how to do project management um, besides the skills I learned on how to manage so many projects when you're in school, right? You've got this paper due, you've got this thing due, you've got the exams and you're juggling all of this. Really, it's project management. How do I get this project and this project and this project or more, you know, five, six, ten of them all at once. How do I make sure that they're all finished on time, but also well, right? That was always the goal. So undergrad taught me about project management. And then I got into this job and the same public health department came a knocking and said, hey, we have this conference, which is uh, an air quality conference, two days international. Um, we have the person who would normally run this. We have nobody in that position. So can Anita do it for us? And so I had eight months. I've never built, you know, like a project that big was crazy. I, and I didn't have time to go through formal project management. But what I did is relied on those skills that I developed as an undergrad and in my master's of having so many deadlines and all the pieces. And I learned very quickly what project management was. Back then, there, weren't, there wasn't the software there is today. So it was big, huge whiteboards with all kind of little post-it notes of every single task that needed to be accomplished. Um, and that was one of those big skills that, again, it's, it's obviously transferable. It was never anything I formally took in terms of schooling. 
but it became a massive asset uh, in that job. Yeah, and thinking about when you were completing your degrees, you weren't consciously saying, ah, oh, I'm managing these as projects. No. You know, those were skills that that were, I guess, implicitly developing or subconsciously developing. And it's only when you sit at that point and look back and say, hang on a second, how have I done this in the past? What what can I use to, to take me through this, um, you know, organizing this conference now? Right. Right. And that's exactly what it was. The conference was huge. I ended up getting, uh, growing the conference by 30%. They'd never had anybody do so well at it. And I, and I know it was directly related to those skills that I brought, all those project management skills that I brought into the position. And, um, you know, it was the one and only time I did it, but wow, did it really show me that I'm more capable of doing things than I initially thought I was. That, that's a great bit of insight. Uh, you know, often I think many people lack the confidence in themselves and, uh, you know, will shy away from certain opportunities. Uh, and it's really great that you've highlighted that saying, well, you know. I got told <laughs> this is my job. There was no shying away. My boss just volunteered me. Anita will do it. Oh my God, I don't even know what this, con- I've never even heard of this conference. And I had to do everything. Uh, it was ready for a rebrand. It was, ah, uh, and that's how I learned to communicate and the power of clarity. So just be very clear on what you're looking for, what your goal is, and who has the information you need to get that accomplished. And I, that is the one key thing that I took out of that experience, which has very much, again, come in handy moving forward with my career is learning how to communicate and, and bringing it right down to those very clear levels. What, what is it that I need to do? What am I looking to accomplish? And who has the information I need to, to get that done? Yeah, that's, it's project management in a nutshell. Yep. And so that's a great, great description. Um, so then thinking about those, uh, or kind of the, those skills that you developed through the years at university, mm-hmm. the, the, the job or the various roles were really enjoyable, but there, there came a time. That, there came that, a time, but I'm going to just back up a tiny bit and say, always had side hustles. Aha. Uh-huh. Always a- had <laughs> side hustles. So, um, I think there were, I don't know, there were a couple of them like, and, and none, none of them went anywhere. These were all things that I was just trying on the side. The, the most successful, surprisingly, was selling my friend's honey. So he's a beekeeper. He was sitting on over, at that time, uh, 2,000 pounds of honey. He just couldn't sell it because he's, he's on a farm. He's busy taking care of the farm. And it just started with me, you know, saying to one person like, hey, I just tried this honey and, you know, can you get me, being in Canada, a kilogram? So he get me a kilo of honey. Sure. And then next thing I know, I'm asking him like, can I have two cases? Can I have 10 cases? At times there were 25 cases of uh, how many? 12 jars. So 12 kilos times 20 cases in my basement. And I'm hustling it through the office. My boss didn't care. He was totally okay with it. But then I started getting bigger businesses and I realized like, holy crap, I can sell. I didn't know I could do this. And that's when I started to think like maybe these little side hustles I have could maybe translate into something later on. Like I really enjoyed the process of it. So, and then I started selling eggs out of the office. (laughs) 
some of his farm fresh eggs. And that was kind of the limit. I was like, yeah, I don't really want to be doing the eggs. But the honey was like, it was crazy how much I sold. And I had a lot of fun doing it. And I helped him. Well, I'm really glad you brought up side hustles because, and you used the example of, of learning a new skill or, or, or um, I guess, highlighting a skill that you, you had and, and you got to use, which was selling. And yeah. I think, I mean, I can't recommend side hustles enough because you do learn things that you might not in your day-to-day job. Um, right. I didn't sell in my job. It's not what I did. Like the biggest thing we did was submit grants. And uh, again, the project management piece, when I'd have sometimes 10 grants all going in for the exact same competition date, um, there was no selling involved. And I really, I liked this a, because it helped my friend out, brought me a little bit of money. But the bigger thing is I got to really work with people. Whereas in my job, I, I didn't really work with people. I worked with a handful of professors, but I didn't get to interact in the same way and learn about a lot of people like I, I would normally like to do. So that side hustle afforded me that opportunity. I, I had another one that failed where I was going to make these signs that go on the back of, because um, I was transporting my kids at the time in a little trailer, pulling it on my bicycle and just a little sign that's on the back that said like, there's not groceries in here, there's kids in here. So please be careful when you're driving by me because they're right at bumper height, right? They're very low to the ground. But that I tried all sorts of things and looked into it and that went nowhere. So the side hustles, what they, they were, and, and now I, I can see it, they were experiments and they were, they were low risk. So like maybe $100, $200, right? My time uh, was the biggest portion of it, but it allowed me to safely play because I had my job to bring in that steady income. So the risk was really low and um, very grateful that I had these different, these different things. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned risk. So it kind of draws on the skills that you develop as a project manager, but there's often a perception that uh, entrepreneurs or business owners are very tolerable of uh, tolerant, if the right word, sorry, of risk, whereas they probably are more risk averse than, than most people, but they know how to manage the risk correctly. You've got it or risk in certain areas, right? Like I am one of these people. I like to try new things. It's always been my personality and I'll tell you about one job. So, um, this was a side hustle that became almost full time, uh, several years ago. And I call it my, four month, $30,000 MBA. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you that I soaked $30,000 in four months in a losing business. (laughs) So I reframed it because it really taught me all of those things I needed to learn about marketing and sales. And what it was, was a custom shoe printing business. So I'm still selling the honey, but that's just, you know, a hundred, $200 a month. It wasn't big. And then, um, A friend of mine and his wife bought this custom um, shoe printing business. So really it was on like the um, Converse high tops and they had a digital printer so you could print ah, anything you wanted. And um, they were really struggling. So I had some time on my hands. I was kind of curious about it. So I got more and more involved in the business. They had no idea who their ideal customers were. They had like, these folks were clueless. And I started to learn and I was like, okay, well, what about this? And what about that? And the next thing I know, they said, well, do you want to come into the business as a partner? I'll tell you folks, if you're going to come in a business, 
as a partner, sorry, an existing business as a partner, make sure you look at the books first because that was one part I never, I don't know, I just took it on faith, uh, dumb. And they were hemorrhaging money, which is why they wanted me to come on. Um, so I learned, I learned how to create websites. I'd never used WordPress before. I had never, like there were so many things I, I learned about how to hire. One of my first hires was my, my nephew. And two weeks later, he was my very first fire. <laughs> well, the, the, the danger of hiring friends and family. Oh, he was horrible. <laughs> he was terrible. What a horrible employee he was. Um, but I didn't know. And I was learning and I was eager. And so that became very different, though, than these side hustles. Even though it was a side hustle, now it became a full-time job. When you're soaking 30000 into a business versus a couple hundred dollars, the risk is very different. And um, we ended up getting some big accounts, but we couldn't fulfill. So the business imploded, no surprise. And that's when I really learned. It's interesting because uh, my friend and his wife walked away from the business and said, oh my God, we'll never go into business again. I walked away and went, oh my God, look at what I can do. I'll have, I'll have more of this. <laughs> I like this. Like it was exciting to me. And so that's why I called in my four month $30,000 MBA. I learned in, okay, so there's a bunch of things I didn't learn that in a formal MBA probably teaches, but it was on the ground training and I still had my job. So again, there was that safety of having my job, knowing I had that income. Um, but wow, I didn't know you could burn through money that fast. Um, it was just like a, a pit. Like we just couldn't feed it fast enough for, for how much it was hemorrhaging money. Yeah, that, that, that's an eye opener. And I think, um, yeah, it's a good word of advice, you, you know, saying, look at the books, if you go into an existing oh, business and, books. and even going into a new business, you know, think about, think about your business plan and that sort of thing. So I think there's right. a really, really sage advice there about, um, about thinking those things out carefully. Um, the interesting thing you said was, you know, when you started spending time with who, who were now or then your new business partners, they had no idea who their ideal customer was. And nope looking at the role that you do now, looking at your business now, that's one of the key skills you've obviously taken through. From, now you from know where it came business. from. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, it, all, it all hangs together so well. Yeah, it's exactly where it came from. So it was probably, uh, what was it? Uh, seven months. Seven months after that business closed, I got the old, um, Anita, can you come and meet me at my, in my office? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, no, this ain't good. Because I'd known things weren't good in the Institute. The um, research environment across Canada at that time had changed. So we had been previously getting like 30% of our research projects funded. And now we were less than 5%. So I knew like the day was coming. I just didn't know when it was when? coming. And seven months after that business closed, I got the, you know, the two minute conversation. Thank you very much. You know, we're giving you this many weeks and because um, we are a unionized environment. So I had, I think, one week for every year of service. So 14 weeks to find another job. Mm -hmm. And um, I applied for 27 jobs over those 14 weeks. Wow. I could not. And it's just, again, how the university works. Again, I was very specialized in what I did and I worked on in the research side. 
So someone has another job title. There was a, the exact same job title, all the same uh, tasks that I do, but it was in transfusion medicine. Well, I've written 25 papers and, you know, or articles and, and peer-reviewed articles in my field. I don't know anything about transfusion medicine. So I can't even apply for that job because it would take years to get subject matter expertise. So I was like, okay, I can't find a job. I guess this is, you know, the opportunity knocking. So I looked online and there was a, this whole movement of, you know, kill your nine to five or whatever it was. And I, uh, I jumped into that, uh, what was it, 20 days before my very last day at the university. And I started my brand new career. And, and in terms of, I guess, understanding what that new career was going to look like. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No understanding. I had no, I think it's for the best. I had no idea what I was getting into. But, but I, you know, there must have been something that you, you drew on saying, well, okay, these are the skills I've developed. These are the things I can do well. Mm -hmm. um, okay, transfusion medicine, I don't do, I can't do. So obviously that's why I couldn't apply for that job. But there were these skills that you developed through right. your time at the university, through your side hustle or, or number of side hustles. You know, there must have been something you said, okay, well, uh, let me package these together and I think I can do nope. this thing. It wasn't like that at all. Not at all. Mm -hmm. Do you know what it was? Huh. I know I enjoyed having that business and I want an online business. Let's see what I can do. That's about as far as it went. Like there was no real planning of it. And that's when I came across this nine to five, you know, kill your job, get rid of your job, become your own entrepreneur kind of thing. And I found this one particular program and what they did for a very heavy price now that I, I look back they take you through and they taught you how it was all around lead generation and how to rank websites better than the, you know, so that you could sell the leads from those sites to, you know, businesses at the bottom of page one or, or page two of Google. So they actually provided the entire business model to you. Okay. And uh, similar to, I guess, a franchise in a sense, almost. Yeah. Here's, here's the yeah. business model. Here's the training. That's right. We're yeah. going to show you how to do it. Step by step, we'll take you through. This is how you do it. This is how you set this up. This is how you, you know, whatever. Yep, that's exactly what. It was a, a business in a box, kind of. And so you got that going. You used skills you developed through your side hustle. You, you got the specialism, I guess, in terms of this lead gen or website ranking. I learned it. And, yep, I yeah, I learned it. And um, what were the big things then that you realized that were a challenge? You know, was I hated it. it. <laughs> you hated it. <laughs> that was the yes. challenge. I was good at it and I hated it. So it's, it's a difficult combination. <laughs> oh, because I sat there and I was like, okay. Um, and what I did is I leveraged, so communications, here we go again. I was writing all those papers um, for, so sorry, in, in academia, we call them papers because you submit them to journals and hopefully they get published and everywhere else, articles or blogs. Um, but I had, so I had an extensive writing career in, in an in the university and I realized that what I could do is as I'm writing the copy for these websites that I was ranking, oh, I can do this for other people too and make money. 
and I can make quick money because I can write fast and I'm very comfortable with the writing process. And so I did really well at it and realized like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be trading, you know, my time for, for dollars. And, um, I also didn't really like the business model, but humans figure out what they like by bumping against what they don't like. You need to kind of hit those things you don't like first to then go, oh, this is really what I want, or this is what I really do like. So that's what was happening. I was doing well, money's coming in. I was, I was doing really well. And then I was like, oh my God, I hate this. I hate this. I do not like this at all. Uh, I'm so glad you, <laughs> you described it like that. I mean, how many people do you talk to, or how many of us talk to, to people that are in corporate careers, uh, you know, or even working for smaller organizations, so not necessarily running their own show, and they hate their job. Yep. Uh, you know, they, they think, well, if only I could start my own company. If I worked for myself, it would be different. I'd be in control of my diary, all of these sorts mm -hmm. of things. Yep. And um, the way you've just described it, you know, you had that control, you ran your own show, but you were still in that place where you, you didn't like that job. I still hated it. And I was the one doing it. And you know what the interesting thing is, is once I started realizing how much I didn't like it, I look back at my days in the university and um, the last four to five years, I didn't enjoy my job either. But I, because I had a master's degree, the job was one of the higher paid in the university because it required an advanced degree. You needed a master's degree to have that job. Um, it was like, they call them the golden handcuffs. Yep. I didn't want to leave because I was making such good money. And I was, you know, in many ways, the job was easy, but it was very unfulfilling. I really, you know, I didn't feel like I was making much of a difference. It was, yeah, it, but it took getting into that job where I built that business um, to realize how miserable I had been for so many years at the university. I didn't know that. It's interesting comparing those because in a way, uh, the university forced your hand to say, yeah. well, you've got to make a change. Right. Now you're in a similar position where you're making money, you know, the business is going well, but you're not enjoying it. What do you do? I sold it. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I can't see myself doing this for another year. I hate it. So, uh, I sold it and, um, to a profit of $300, pretty not impressive. Huh? It's not, not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> so you, you're only, you're only, uh, 29,700 down at this point. Uh, <laughs> but it, you know what, there, the, it was only six months old. There wasn't, there weren't a lot of assets, but I'm grateful that I saw, I put, you know, pulled the business apart. I sold it to different people who were also involved in that group. They were very grateful. Um, and then I was like, okay, what do I do now? And I came across a webinar about how you can become your own consultant because this was that big, you know, several years ago, or maybe still is just, just become a consultant. It's okay. If you don't know anything, <laughs> you can just, you know, and it was weird because this particular one was, uh, he was telling you that you can set up an agency by running Facebook ads for clients. And when I went through his training, I realized this guy has no idea what he's doing with Facebook ads. So I'm not going to offer that service when I don't even know how to do it myself. So I took another course and I learned about running Facebook ads and marketing. And then I was like, oh, it was so exciting because this was several years ago. Obviously, video Facebook ads were just brand new, right? 
nobody had done it. It was like the wild west and we were still using power editor and like it, it, running Facebook ads back then took a, a fair bit of skill, which it, it still does if you want to run them well, but Facebook's done a lot to automate it and make it much easier for people to just run ads quickly. Terms whereas the production and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Back then, like power editor was, it was a challenge to work with at times and you, you really had to understand it. So I was now learning about marketing and psychology and I was like, oh my God, this is so awesome. And I was in a particular Facebook group for this course I took and literally they came knocking and said like, Anita, we see you're so active in the, in the community group. Do you want to manage it as, as our community manager? And I was like, I thought it was a joke right? Whoever comes and says, cause I hadn't even heard of this guy. And I'm like, Oh, cause this isn't for real. And then it turned out it was, they had been watching me for a while and we're like, we need somebody to do this, you know, part-time. Would you be able to do it? And so, uh, I suddenly was running a Facebook ad agency. Just okay. like that. <laughs> Just like that. It took a, it was, a, you know, a little more work. It was exciting times. It was also very frustrating because um, I didn't know a lot about marketing. I didn't know a lot about sales. I didn't know a lot about um, the psychology. It was so exciting because it was so new, but at the same time, I found it very overwhelming. I'm taking more and more courses now. It almost felt like I was back in undergrad course after course because you no sooner would finish a course and then you go like oh my god well now there's like all these other things i don't know about that i should learn about to make to be to become better at marketing and sales and so that time period that's all it felt like as i just went from course to course to course book to book to book and were courses and books that sort of only uh, you know ways you you use to close those gaps or to address those skills gaps I did. I did. So um, the books and the courses, and I'll say two things, not only the skills gaps, the other thing that taking those courses do uh, did because they were all online was it'll uh, open me up to a community of other people who were similarly struggling. So we're all trying to learn the material, which was great because then we could support each other. And I didn't feel like, you know, the only idiot in the room. It was like, we were all in it trying to figure out how do we put this with our business? How did you understand this particular thing that we're learning? And it started growing my network. So I had the two things I'm building skills. Books didn't help me really understand the skills in the same way. And books didn't really help in the same way with um, networking, but the courses, those online courses really did. And I'm forever grateful because I felt so alone when you're running your own business, there's no boss telling you you're going to do this and you're going to do that. So it was also at the same time, I'm growing into who I am as a business owner. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do I have to change now to become that way? And what ended up happening is nobody really talks about this in the same way is my nine to five friends started disappearing out of my life because it couldn't relate to them, but I could relate to these folks in these online courses because they were just like me trying to figure this out too. Well, I think it's an important point you make about finding your community. And as you say, mm -hmm. you know, business owners um, and, and also people in very senior positions, I think sometimes do feel alone uh, and don't know where to reach out to those support networks. 
you, you can speak to family, you can speak to friends, but I guess they're not in the same position. And it's about mm-hmm. finding that community that can help you uh, or either give you the answers or help you arrive at the answers. And I think that's incredibly important. And um, I'm glad you drew that out. Yeah, I would say it's the one thing that got me through those tough times because you have so much going at, you know, hitting you and you're trying this and and the money's not coming in and now you got to pay more money. But at the same time, you know, if you don't take this course and you're, you're, you know, not going to learn that skill that, you know, can make a big difference. And it's confusing. It was like, I look back at those times and so as exciting as it is to move forward, people forget that every time you move forward, you leave something behind. So I left behind a lot of relationships during that period because I couldn't relate anymore. And that was painful. And we don't really talk about that. We talk about the entrepreneurial journey as if it's always just uh, positive or, oh, you might have your struggles but because this happened and this server crashed and whatever. But what about that emotional journey, which is massive and, and trying to get people to believe in me right? So there's a saying I heard years ago, man, oh man, I wish I heeded it. Entrepreneurs tend to run out of one of two things, time or money. And I get that now. This took me way longer to start being successful than I ever thought it would take. Never thought it would take this long to finally hit a point where it, the business has become easy now and the money's coming in and it's not that really hard struggle like it was for those first few years as I was trying to figure out what is it that I want to do? How do I want to serve? Yeah, it's a good point in terms of helping you direct your focus, I guess, and thinking, well, you know, I can, I can exchange time for money and that's what many of us do. Right, in the, um, yeah, in the beginning. And, and, but you can't exchange money for time. No. And, and uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's quite important to, I think, realize that distinction and understand, given the time you have, what are the things you're going to be focusing on, what's important to you? And, and as you say, you talk about serving, what's going to help others? Right. So I was always good at that. Um, so I did the Facebook ad agency for a while. But again, with Facebook ads at that time, we were still using Power Editor. There was no, like you couldn't cap your budgets like you can now. And I felt like I had an, a toddler in the house. So I was already raising two kids on my own. And then now I'm like, oh my God, my business is my, fi-. like, so same thing. Those same feelings I had with the lead gen business started coming up. And I was like, I don't, I don't like this. And I don't want to do it. And it just felt, the other thing is I felt very uh, powerless because Facebook had the control. Working, 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 suddenly they change something in the algorithm and now you're scrambling again, trying to figure out what's going to work again. And I was just like, I don't have that capacity with two kids that I'm raising to also be babysitting this business. So I closed down the Facebook ad agency and then I was like, okay. I'm going to go into digital marketing for coaches and consultants. So I created a course, beta tested it first, (laughs) beta tested the course. People loved it, all of that. And then when I started launching the course, I realized that the pain was not bad enough that these people wanted to do something about it. And I was like, I tried it for about what was it? Eight months. Now money's running out fast. I'm hardly making sales. I'm like, now I'm sitting here going like, am I just an idiot? Like I have two advanced degrees. Um, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I make this work? And 
that was the time when my business coach came into my life and I'm forever grateful for her because we talked at that very first time. And I said to her, like, this is a failing business. I don't know if I can resurrect it. And she looked at me and she said, maybe it's time to close it down. And as soon as I did, it was a massive relief off my shoulders. And, and how did you, you, you said this business coach came into your life. Was it a conscious decision thinking, well, actually, I need someone that can help me here? Yes. Yes. Because I felt like, what is wrong with me? I have all this knowledge. I have all these skills. I know I can do this, but what, like, what is wrong that I can't seem to put the pieces together? And it turned out that I had pieces missing in my foundation. And I didn't know that. And that's why I was struggling so much. So she had a 12-week program. And we, every week we sat down and we went through the very specific things that I needed to look at. And she, through that laying of that strong foundation, the first couple of weeks, I didn't know what I was going to do, right, for a business. And then I started to... I had, you know, again, another side hustle on my, on my full-time business now was I had a friend who was building an AI platform and then I had another friend I was working with and he and I were going to build a SaaS on her AI platform. That got me into SaaS. That got me into the world of churn. And if you're wondering what churn is, it's when a customer leaves and it's a, a particularly um, strong metric that is, is, um, followed by subscription-based businesses because the more customers turn, the less profitable they become, the more likely the business is to fail. So like they're, they're always looking at churn. And I realized like, why don't I just work with churn for SaaS companies and take all of this qualitative feedback skills that I learned all those years of university and bring them all together. And it was like, a huge like hand in glove or however you want. It was like, ah, you know, the, the, in the Venn diagram, you know, where you have the three overlapping circles and you have the middle. That was it. And I was like, this is awesome. This is, this is where I'm meant to be because now I've taken all of those years of formal education and I can bring it forward. I have my passion, which is talking to people. And remember that whole sales part that, I was always interested in with selling the honey and talking to different people and helping to solve problems. And then the third is I'm, I'm passionate about it. And I really think that I can make a big impact in the world of customer experience. And so those three came together. The business now is just what, 14 months old. And it's, and it's like night and day, night and day to all the other businesses I had where it was a grind because it wasn't a right fit. Now that I've hit the right fit, it's relatively quote unquote easy. Believe me, there's a, a lot of work I still do. At times it is grinding, but the grind is maybe 5%. The rest is I'm energized by what I do. I'm excited because I know the market has a need for this, particularly um, SaaS companies do. I work with customer success. These people, I don't have to convince them of the value of what I do because they already know they're already doing it. But much like when I hired my business coach, I had gaps. Well, they have gaps. I can bring in my expertise to help them. And then the biggest win is for the customers. The customers end up getting, having a better experience out of what these companies are doing when they collect their feedback. 
and it's been amazing. That's that's a great story, and I think um, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the work with the business coach again. So, you know, you talked about the skills you developed and, and the formal education as well, uh, your interests and your passions, um, and then said, okay, well, then there's these, these other bits here. These are the gaps that I had to close with this business coach. And um, I mean, just uh, you know, what what sort of gaps were they? I mean, were they were they sort of key business skills? Were they hard business skills? Uh, were they something more soft? Yep. No, so they were all. So we went across all. Like one of the first things we did was looked at my core values for my business. Like what are my core values? And it was an exercise I had to do. I had to sit down and write out. I still have them here on my desk. Five core values. Empowering, respectful, connection, practical, and down to earth. Then we focused on branding out of those core values. Right? Then we looked at, well, what am I going to do? What are my marketing channels I'm going to use? So I shut down Facebook, 100% on LinkedIn. Love it. Best decision I ever made with respect to, to uh, my marketing channels. And then she brought up this concept, which I don't know if you know who Russell Brunson is. He does the... Um, the, the, the funnel... Um, yeah, click funnels. Yeah, dot com secrets. Uh, yeah, dot com yeah, secrets, yeah. traffic funnels. Yeah. And there's another one, expert secrets. So um, one thing he talks about is this concept of the dream 100. So uh, my coach called it the core, core 100. But essentially, it's developing relationships with people who are much larger than I am and already have their authority and much larger audiences, much larger businesses, and developing relationships with them over time. So eventually, um, we can get to a point where we might be able to partner on things. And that, my friend, has like moved me ahead light years. That's a great piece of advice. And, uh, you know, it, it's not about being mercenary and reaching us and saying, hey, it's Gunter or Anita here and I'd like to link in with you because I've got this really great candidate that can okay. land in your company tomorrow. Okay. And uh, so many people still do that and don't realize that yeah. it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I did it, embarrassingly. <laughs> I did that because have, I didn't know any learn. better. Right? Like I saw other people doing it, must work. Um, until I learned and it was with her that I learned that no, I don't need to, I don't need to be that way. I don't need to do it. And it has opened doors. So there's one particular company, they're a software company, have about 25% market share around churn and subscription-based businesses. And I started this idea, uh, reaching out slowly. I'll also give a hint, gifts, gifts, like G-I-F-T-S, gifts. Yeah not gif as in giffies with the, you know, animated yeah. video. That's not what I'm saying, uh-huh. but highly personalized, highly personalized to them. And um, I have this one story. So again, I'm trying to figure out like who's who in this space, who can I maybe start building relationships with? I had no idea where the, who has like churn related blog posts or blogs or podcasts. Like I had no clue. And one of the things she forced me to do, was I had to find a hundred people to put on this list from, like I said, people of influence, like pie in the sky, like, wow, if I could ever work with them, like these are the people that have like the biggest followings, the biggest names, right down to who has a blog that I could guest post on that has my audience, right? And um, 
I was hard. Can I tell you that was a really hard list to create? Because you get the first few, like the first five are easy. Oh, well, so-and-so is big. And so, but then it's getting, you know, getting down further and, and trying to decide, like, would it be worth my time to develop this relationship? And I thought I had like venture capitalists on my list. I had other businesses um, that do complementary stuff to mine. Uh, it, was, it, was a, it was really hard to do. It's that classic so sort of long, long tail challenge, thinking about how, how you're going to deal with those numbers. Long-term play. So anyway, let me get back to, to this one guy. Uh, he had done all the writing for all their content. And um, I sent him a gift and it was small. And I, he was like really impressed with it. I didn't, okay, whatever. It was like really small. Then I sent him something that was highly personal to him. And he got back to me. I've still never spoken to him. This is 100% on LinkedIn. He gets back to me. He goes, hey, Anita, how would, you like, how would you like to write blogs and articles for us? And I went, are you insane? 25% market share, okay? And growing. They are very aggressive at what they're doing. And so I have. I now have two articles, third one's in. And it's, yeah, it's building my authority because now I can put that on my website and say, hey, uh, my articles are also seen here. And what that's doing is now I can leverage that into even bigger places. So yeah, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. And, and, and that's the return on your investment of yes. building those 100 relationships. So um, yeah, not, not, not something overnight, but something that needs to be developed and something you need to yeah nurture and work on. So I think that's a great piece of advice from obviously both from your business coach and from you putting it into action. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I will just say this, if people are wondering, yes, people on the names, uh, names on the list have changed as I've grown myself and realized like, oh, you know what? I thought these people were really key because back then I didn't really know what I was doing, but I've now focused a little more. So now these groups of people, like I don't, I don't do anything now with venture capitalists, whereas initially I was, I thought that that would be a really key channel for me, but it's turned out not to be. So I've now changed names and, and put new and different people on for the direction I'm heading. Yeah. I think it's important, uh, you know, to continue to kind of evolve that and, mm -hmm. and, and, and change it as your circumstances change. And, yeah, it's and not a static so, list. It's not yeah. a static list. Uh, I mean, that, it's been such uh, it, the way you've brought things together has been really, uh, really fascinating. Uh, you know, the things as you talk through the story and the bits fall into place. And uh, yeah. I think now as you describe it, you know, you found your niche, you used the example of the Venn diagrams coming together and it sounds a bit cheesy, but you know, the way you articulated it is brilliant. So I'm, I'm really glad it sort of culminated on this point. Um, so, I mean, I guess before we, we, we kind of close off with a few short questions, I mean, what mm. advice would you, the one thing that, well, the one thing I drew out of, of particular interest was, 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 was around values and what advice would you give to listeners who are, I guess, struggling to reconcile values differences so perhaps theirs versus working at a, a corporate right. or an employer and they don't quite align i think the biggest thing um and i'm in this right now like right this minute i when we get off this call <laughs> in 25 minutes i'm getting back on my call with a business coach my same business coach because we're done now like our, our formal work but her and i um, still keep up and I still pay her to, to help me because I need it. She has the expertise. And um, 
I really want to niche down to like just one, one thing that I do and that's around customer feedback. And I've been really afraid to do it because I always hear the, you know, you hear it, oh, niche down, niche down. But then there's that fear of, well, if I niche too far, will I niche myself right out of, right out of a job? No one will find me relevant. And same with the value thing. You really need to ask yourself, like, we only have this one life to live. There's no do-overs, at least as, as not in this reality. Um, what do I really want? And does this make me happy? Am I getting real pleasure and joy out of this? Or when I think about that, like if I think about my job and I go, oh, and that is the primary feeling, then my friend, maybe it's time to, to start looking to move on. And the interesting thing is the more I, I sit like I do right now, I already know the direction I'm heading. Yes, it will be fully into customer feedback, <laughs> but I just want to hear my, my business coach confirm it. Um, the more I, I can get into what brings me joy and makes me happy when I think about it, doors just open. It becomes like, it's so weird, but I become energized. Then that energy just makes everything easier. So like I think of my job at the university when I didn't enjoy being there, it was a drudgery. Like I tried to make myself and the environment happy, but it, that was the whole point. I was trying uh, to influence change. But the more that I've sat and gone, what do I like? What really brings me pleasure? What really makes me feel so fulfilled? Like I was just sending a message to someone who works nine to five and he goes, why are you working on the weekend? And I said, because I love it. It's not really work. <laughs> like there are pieces I'm not so fond of, but those are tiny. Like that's maybe like 5%, 95%. Like, oh my God, if I didn't get paid doing this, I'd still want to do it because I enjoy it so much. And I can't believe I would ever say that because it was, that was never how it was. But I, the more that I listen to that still inner voice, and it does mean taking time sometimes. It means shutting down social media and all of that and sitting with your piece of paper <laughs> or your phone and, and asking yourself that hard question. What do I really want? What truly brings me joy? What makes my, what is that Marie Kondo, you know, does it sing to you or speak to you or whatever? Does it bring you joy? The, like, literally, it's the same thing. When you think about those things, does it bring you joy or is the primary feeling you're having um, one of dread or heaviness or regret? If those are the primary feelings you're having, then the values um, aren't aligned and it's time to move on because you only have this one life to live. And we've heard it, you know, people on their deathbed. You don't want to be one of those people who said, hey, I wish I would have when I could have and regret because you can't go back and undo. But what you can do is open your heart, ask yourself what you really want, move forward toward that. And believe me, the path starts opening up in front of you. You might still be scared. I'm scared. I'm frankly, yes, I'm very scared to do this. But now, the flip side of fear is excitement. So now I'm telling myself, maybe it's not really fear. Maybe I'm excited. I'm excited to do this. That's, I mean, that's a great approach to take because, you know, your, your brain will do what you, what it thinks you want it to do. So, you know, if you say, I'm, I'm, I'm really nervous about giving this presentation, you, you know, you're going to 
not feel well. Uh, but what if you say, if you just twist that slightly and say, I'm really excited about this. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, and there's so many ways you can use that, um, that approach. And um, I particularly like the, the way you've talked about identifying or finding what it is you love. And this is so often the case in call it normal employment where an employee is unhappy and they want to leave and you, I'll give you more money right. and they'll say, okay, yeah, that's, yeah, that's okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. All right. But that only goes so far, you know, it'll last a couple of months, maybe six months. And the thing that makes them unhappy is still there. Right. And, and as you articulated through all of your career experiences, the money was there, but that thing that was making you or should be making you happy wasn't. And, and that's what caused you to kind of pivot each time. So I think that's, that's fantastic advice. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope, I hope this help, helps, you know, uh, whoever's listening. Hey, listen, first of all, you're not alone. Second of all, we're all scared and we don't all have the answers and that's okay. The bigger thing again is sitting with yourself and being truly honest. And saying, if I could, like, so if money is the issue, set it aside and pretend you have all the money in the world. What would you do? Yeah. What would really make your heart sing? And I agree. So I don't agree that, you know, you should just follow your passion (laughs) because there's also got to be a market to pay for it too. But you need to find that intersection of your passion that it's exciting. How can you bring it a little differently with people who are willing to pay? Because I was passionate about digital marketing too, but they they weren't willing to pay me. <laughs> yeah, it's the classic old Venn diagram again. It is. So um, great, it great is. advice. That's been that's been really super. Um, you know, thanks so much for for sharing your story. And I guess just before we end, a couple of short questions: Is mm-hmm. there any particular book that you'd recommend to readers to pick up? One or two of your favorite books? Okay, so no laughing. Oh, actually, go ahead and laugh. Oh, I forgot this is a podcast. Quentin and I are looking at each other here on video. I was going to yank it out. Okay, so seriously, favorite business book of all time. He has written over 60 books. I can guarantee you've probably read one of his books in your life. And it's called Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss, brilliant. <laughs> and every time I say that to people, I can 99.9% guarantee you do not have this book as one of your best business books. <laughs> that, is your that is certainly unique. It, I think it needs to be an addition to mine. So brilliant. Thank you for that. It, it is awesome. Essentially, it tells this story. The story we just told about, talked about, this is what it tells. So that that is my my top recommend. Brilliant. Thank you for that. And finally, listeners, where can they go to connect with you or find out more about you and your work? Yeah. So two places, Anita Toth, T-O-T-H dot C-A. Um, so that is really if you're around, um, you know, customer retention, customer feedback. So there's a little section that says how I can help you. If you click on that, I have foundational guides. And one of the guides in particular is called the ultimate guide to customer feedback. And um, it really lays out how you collect feedback, why it's important. And there's a compendium that goes along with it that gives you questions to ask because that that sort of, you know, I call that the comprehensive guide to, uh, to customer feedback questions, right from product market fit to cancellation surveys to understanding who your ideal customer ideal customers are and the types of questions you should be asking. And then lastly, find me on LinkedIn, uh, Anita Toth. 
I have the bright orange shirt. Um, so you'll find, find me over there and feel free to like reach out and connect with me. Um, that's really my primary channel. So if you're looking for resources, go to the website under how I can help you. And, uh, otherwise if you want to get to know me a little better, um, LinkedIn is the place. That's brilliant. And uh, thanks for the offer, you know, to, to connect with, with listeners. I will post the links to both your websites and resources and LinkedIn in the show notes. So awesome. people can find that easily. And yeah, just again, thank you so much for sharing your story and your insight. Uh, it's been another great story uh, to have on the podcast and I'm, I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. Well, it really is amazing when you sit down and look back on a career and you find all of these gems and all these nuggets that come out in conversation. And I really am so grateful to Anita for spending some time on the show and sharing those uh, insights and those nuggets of, of wisdom and experience with us. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed the chat and uh, I've pulled out so many bits of value from that. As always, I'd just like to cover off a bit of those before we end off the show. I've also written those up in the show notes, so they'll be there for you to read through. But I think the key things that stood out for me were mentorship. So this is something that Anita spoke about uh, as being so valuable to her when she made that transition from, uh, I suppose, studying or, or learning, so, so sort of pre-working environment into the working environment. Um, a mentor was invaluable in helping her make that transition. And the fact that uh, 20 years later, they're still in touch and and have a great relationship. So um, yeah, mentorship is important. Uh, the importance of communication skills, written and verbal. Now, you know, regardless of the industry that you're in, these skills can go so far with you and uh, they can serve you in all aspects of your life, whatever it is you choose from a career perspective. And uh, as I say, regardless of the career you choose, these are really valuable skills to keep developing and use on a daily basis. Project management was an interesting one because it's come up a few times and um, it comes up in the context of people being project managers, obviously, and these skills are important. But in many aspects, people aren't project managers, but they find these project management skills really important and really helpful. So develop those skills and, and use them when you need them. Uh, Anita talked about clarity, being clear what you're looking for. And she mentioned a few sort of, I suppose, I don't want to say cul-de-sacs but she'd kind of gone a little bit with uh, a bit of her, her career when she left the university found out she didn't enjoy it and um, you know had to sort of pivot or look for something else so try and be clear on what you're looking for and try and do something that brings you happiness and joy uh, I'm so glad Anita brought up uh, the topic of hard uh, side hustles sorry um, so again you know while these sorts of things are fun they're great they they can be hobbies um although once they start generating money i suppose they become more of a side hustle but they really do teach you skills that you might not learn in your everyday job so you might not get an opportunity to use uh, certain uh, approaches or tools or uh, a certain set of skills and doing a side hustle really gives you the ability to do that and it allows you to do that at a low risk as well because you're not giving up your day job you know so you can for a fairly low amount invest in a side hustle um, develop the side hustle and develop your skills as well. Spending time with people was another one that came out and um, Anita spoke about the uh, the 100 challenge, uh, the, the Dream 100 uh, Bob Russell Brunson around 
finding 100 people and and really growing a relationship with them and um so yeah it, it just goes to show the, the value of relationships and you know when you get down to the bottom of of everything it's about it's about people so again excellent skills to develop and um, also uh Anita talked about the strength or, or the importance of finding your community and growing your network. And, you know, this is important because it helps you understand, I guess, um, what that broader community looks like. Uh, it, it's a sounding board. You know, it helps you understand yourself better, uh, your career. Um, you know, really just important to find your community and find a place that's that's safe, I suppose, that you can discuss ideas with, share problems with. Anita also spoke about core values and um, again, very important, you know, developing those will help you make tough decisions. Uh, they'll help you align your interests to jobs available and those sorts of things. So again, core values are very important to deliver. Um, we've spoken about a mentor, but uh, Anita also spoke, spoke about a business coach. And again, you know, really coaching is such a powerful tool if you find there's a gap or if there's a gap and you don't know what that gap is, a coach is a great way to help you through that. Uh, I have done an episode on coaching. So, you know, feel free to look through the archives or listen to the archives. There is a bit on coaching there. And um, I think ultimately, and we've spoken a bit about this before in the summary, do what makes you happy. And he just said, do what makes you happy, do what brings you joy. And it's really about finding that niche, about finding things that make you happy, things you can do well, and things that people will pay money for, you know, whether it's your own business or an employer, bringing those three together and finding the intersection of those circles is is, is really where it's at. So uh, that was it in summary. Uh, another really awesome episode. Uh, thanks again to Anita. And thanks again to you, the listeners, for giving up your time to listen to the show. I really do appreciate it. Please get in touch and let me know more about what you want to hear on the show. Uh, if there's any topics or anything that are bothering you, sorts of challenges you're trying to overcome, I'd love to hear from you. Please leave a review for the show um, if it's available on the platform you listen to. The show is available on all the major platforms. So I look forward to talking to you again in the next episode. Do take care of yourselves and chat soon. Bye-bye.